0: Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Us Initiative, and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State, Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPInfo.org. The year is underway, but Governor Kathy Hochul and New York State lawmakers are still dealing with some issues from last year. As the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, the governor vetoed a number of bills in the waning days of 2023, and that has led to some lingering disappointment.
1: Hochul vetoed several measures that leading state lawmakers championed, including a ban on non compete agreements. The governor tried unsuccessfully to modify that measure so that it would only apply to lower-level jobs but still be preserved for top executives in large corporations or top Wall Street brokers. She also vetoed a bill known as the Grieving Families Act. It aimed to make it easier for families to seek damages for grief and anguish if their loved one died because of a health care or other facility's negligence. And, perhaps more importantly, for lawmakers up for re election in 2024, Hochul vetoed a measure that would have changed public campaign finance laws to expand matching funds for large scale donations. When advocates and some lawmakers complained, the governor's director of communications called some of the bills extreme proposals that wouldn't be appropriate for the state. Hochul says in her defense, the legislature passed over 900 bills in 2023, and 500 of them were during the final week of session. And then at that point, there's no opportunity for negotiation or conversation or Understanding the impact that it might have on an agency that now has to staff up 50 more people to accomplish this and you didn't budget any money. That's usually what happens. She points out that she did end up signing some of the more controversial bills, including the Birds and the Bees Act. That law now bans an agricultural pesticide linked to honeybee die-off. Hokel says it's up to her and her staff to decide whether a measure actually lives up to its catchy name. It's just one example of where we have to look at bills that sound good on the face and they always have a great title, always have a great title, but that does not mean that in its implementation that it is right for New York. Democrats hold a supermajority in both houses of the legislature. That means they have the power to pass the bills again and then override any potential vetoes by Hochul, enabling the measures to become law. Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie, speaking on Spectrum News' Capitol Tonight Show, says lawmakers, though, are not yet ready to go that route.
2: The legislature you know, should take that same type of care uh, in doing uh, uh, you know, overrides. Uh, it's like, you know, those laws are like nuclear options, and, you know, you would hope never to have to get to that point.
1: The governor says she hopes this year to begin collaborating earlier with senators and assembly members on controversial issues to avoid vetoes altogether. Let's start the budget earlier. Let's start the bills or Talk to us during the session. And then we can have bills that we've worked on together by the end of June, and then we can start signing them right away. Speaker Hasty pushed back on that. He says collaboration is a two-way street. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: Worried about the number of people leaving New York, two state lawmakers are calling for the creation of a commission to spend a year finding out why. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with more.
2: U.S. Census Bureau figures show New York is one of eight states that saw a drop in population in the period of June 2022 through July 2023. Republican Senator Jim Tedisco and Democratic Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara co-authored a new bill that calls for creation of a 13-member bipartisan state outmigration commission. The capital region lawmakers say it would look into why people are leaving and recommend policy changes to stop it. Tedisco says as of July 2023, over 631,000 people have left New York since the pandemic
3: if this continues uh, this uh, escape from new york uh, whatever you want to call it we won't be the empire state anymore we'll be fast moving towards being called the empty state and we're not only number one in our migration last year during the redistricting and during the census uh we were one of seven states that lost another congressperson
2: commissioners would be appointed by the governor and legislative leaders As the bill is written, no current member of the legislature can sit on the commission, and 10 of the 13 commission members must reside in each of the state's 10 Economic Development Council regions. Tedisco fears New York could lose three congressional seats in the 2030 census should current trends continue, further eroding the state's influence at the U.S. Capitol.
3: We don't need any more excuses. We don't need any more talk. We need an action plan. Now, I think the uh, Assemblyman and myself who put forth this plan for an independent, bipartisan commission to study out-migration and bring forth not only excuses or any excuses, but reasons why people are leaving and some solutions on how we can solve this and mitigate it through legislation. The reason we brought that forth is because uh, nothing's being done. Silence. The status quo continues here. You can't turn your back on this problem and expect it to walk away.
2: Citing a recent comptroller's report on the state's population decline, Santa Barbara says out-migration numbers among several issues facing families in New York.
4: We can help identify as many significant factors as we can uh, that can lead to population decline. And from there, uh, our hope is to uh, to assess the impact of existing laws, Uh, regulations and the unique needs of areas of the state. Uh, There'll be public hearings uh, throughout regions of the state because it may differ from region to region. There are some overall issues, you know, affordability is is a big one right now. There's there's things that we know of, crime has been an issue, but there are other issues uh, that we also expect this Commission to examine, areas like agriculture, energy needs, opportunities, health care, economic development, Uh, The environment, education, and mandate and tax relief are a few uh, that I I, uh, hope to see in there. Uh, There may be some others as well that I'm missing. Uh, But the the overall goal is to support policy and promote efforts that can enhance and protect our our communities uh, here in New York State and also to make our state more attractive and more affordable.
2: Under Tedisco and Santa Barbara's bill, hearings would be held in each of the 10 regions within a year with a final report and recommendations due 90 days after that. Empire Center for Public Policy Research Director Ken Girardin is not impressed.
5: This proposal is the sort of silly thing that elected officials pitch when they want praise for talking about a problem without doing the harder work of addressing the problem. The best indicator of a region's economic health is whether people are choosing to live there. And New York's struggle to attract people is a reflection of its sluggish recovery, especially upstate from the last three recessions. Mm -hmm neither sponsor appears prepared to meaningfully discuss the policies behind New York's competitive disadvantage because it would offend influential groups such as public employee unions and trial lawyers. So we're left with soundbites instead.
2: A spokesperson for Governor Hochul says she will review the legislation if it passes in both houses of the legislature. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. This week, I sat down with William Aiken, the president of RID, Remove Intoxicated Drivers, about their support of a bill in this year's session to lower the blood alcohol content for drunk driving from .08 to .05.
6: Yeah, the last significant reduction we've seen in DWI fatalities coincided with two things, the passing of the 21 drinking age and the lowering of, of the BAC. She didn't um, get involved with this issue until she went to a conference out in San Diego where she heard uh, the the Surgeon General at the time, C. Everett Koop, talk about the importance of, of 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 driving or how you're impaired. You know, I just asked her a few drinks, and, and she was really sold on that idea, but at the time, all the only data we had was to show how your, uh, how alcohol infected your ability to drive. That was the only data we had. Now, decades later, there there's literally hundreds of countries who have passed the law. We studied the effects of that. We studied the effects of, the, of a point oh five law that passed in Utah. So we we it's taken time for the science to get up to speed to where we can really make the argument cohesively.
0: Give us a sense statistically, though, how many people die each year? Whether it's New York, the country, what do the statistics well, tell the, us? In in
6: two thousand twenty two, there were uh, three hundred thirty five deaths in alcohol crashes, and that's like it represents a thirty year a thirty percent increase over the past five years I think covid it's hard to say what role covid uh, played in that and 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 nationally we have ten thousand deaths annually, and that 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 figure has remained the same since the year two thousand and there hasn't been any substantial things what what is different about the point o five bill is that rather than putting on punitive measures that for once someone commits the crime, that this is a psychological deterrent. It's a proactive approach where people are thinking about their, their situation they're going to be in where they may be drinking and then they may have to drive. And this, this gets them planning ahead, you know, whether it's an Uber or a designated driver. That is the big deterrent. It's not an increase in law enforcement or arrests as the other side likes to say that that arrests would be taxed. I've spoken to the Utah Highway Patrol, uh, Colonel uh, Michael Rappage, and he told me that they don't do anything differently. I mean, they do the same thing, which is to look for signs of impairment. They're not looking for signs of impairment at .05 they're just doing their job the same way they do, and I think that if I've, uh, there's also a statistic that says that 22% of drivers said they changed their behavior as a result of the law. of of It law. This is in Utah. So um, I, I I mean it's it's such it, it it it's such a an effective and I think perfect way to address this. And if we look back at history, we see when was the last time we had a significant reduction? It was when we lowered it from .10 to .08. But still, at that level of impairment, you're much likely to still get into a crash. And um, I think, you know, the argument they say this is going to criminalize social drinking What the bill does is separate drinking from driving. And the notion that we should allow people to be impaired on the road so we can sell more drinks, I think, is one that the public is not going to support.
0: That's William Aiken, president of RID. Remove intoxicated drivers. (laughs) listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. History was made in Poughkeepsie Tuesday when Yvonne Flowers was sworn in as the city's first African-American mayor. The Legislative Gazette's Jesse King was there and filed this report.
7: Flowers, a former council member from the city's fifth ward, took the oath of office along with members of the Common Council at her alma mater, Poughkeepsie High School. The Democrat won a decisive victory in each of the city's eight wards in November. In her inaugural address, Flowers stressed a desire to diminish the divide between the city's north and south sides. Since the day I
8: ran for political office, my motto is Poughkeepsie before politics. I vow that I will work hard to make sure decisions will be based on what is best for Poughkeepsie.
7: At the very least, Tuesday's ceremony aimed to demonstrate a united front in city government. The Common Council and Mayor's office have repeatedly clashed over the years, even when both branches were under Democratic control, like last year. Flowers says some of her main concerns as mayor include public safety, homelessness, youth services, and housing. Flowers says she intends to put together a housing task force to move the issue forward as the city awaits the results of a key housing study.
8: We need all stakeholders involved. Tenants, landlords, developers, community housing partners, government officials, and financial advisors to help research and discuss the ideas that would bring viable solutions to our housing crisis.
7: Nearby, Newburgh recently declared a housing emergency and opted into rent control under New York's Emergency Tenant Protection Act after a study found its vacancy rate for apartments to be just 3.9 percent. Flowers, who is a landlord, has said she is open to exploring whether rent control might work in Poughkeepsie, depending on the results of the housing study. Tuesday's ceremony was largely celebratory in nature, though, with performances by Poughkeepsie high school students and remarks by special guests like New York Attorney General Letitia James. James, a Democrat who became the state's first woman and African-American elected AG in 2018, had some advice for flowers, but also for Poughkeepsie residents.
8: You got her elected, but you can't leave her alone. So this is a joint effort. All of you must be a part of the progress of Poughkeepsie.
7: The Common Council swore in some new faces, including Councilmember at Large, Deron Wilson, First Ward Councillor, Ernest Henry, Third Ward Councillor, Teresina Brown, and Fifth Ward Councillor, Andy James, all Democrats. Flowers has tapped former police chief Ron Knapp to be interim city administrator as the city conducts a nationwide search to fill the position. Outgoing Mayor Mark Nelson, who also served as city administrator, has been hired as the new town manager of Simsbury, Connecticut. In her first proclamation as mayor, Flowers thanked Nelson for a smooth transition on the heels of her Democratic primary victory over Nelson.
8: And I wish you well as you move on to Connecticut. Thank you, Mayor. Hmm.
3: Congratulations, thank you so much. I love you City Poughkeepsie, thank you everybody.
7: Flowers is a lifelong Poughkeepsie resident. In addition to her four terms on the Common Council, she worked as a financial advisor and supervisor for Dutchess Community College for more than 30 years. Flowers says she never dreamed of getting into politics while she was growing up. It was her late father, a celebrated community organizer and carpenter in the city, who encouraged her to serve. After a grueling campaign in which she lost her council seat in 2011, followed by the sudden death of her husband, Flowers said she gave up on politics, but her father eventually convinced her to run again for the fifth ward seat.
8: You need all the experience you can get to help this city as mayor. You will become mayor, baby girl. Here we are, eight years later after he
7: passed, and my dad's vision
8: became a reality.
7: John M. Flowers died in 2015, but he was mentioned in the remarks of many of Tuesday's speakers. Yvonne Flowers is one of five women being sworn in as mayor in cities across New York. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jessie King.
0: Businesses in Albany are welcoming the start of the state legislative session as lawmakers, staffers, and others flock to New York's capital city. The Legislative Gazette's Alexander Babi reports.
5: Lawmakers returned to Albany Wednesday for a six-month legislative session. Four businesses in the Empire State Plaza concourse, where shops and restaurants line the underground passageway between the Capitol and agency buildings, that means more foot traffic Ben Houck is marketing manager from Zone Hospitality, which runs many of the plaza's restaurants. He says the businesses, including the Albany Room Banquet Facility, see the most traffic while legislators and the staff and lobbyists who come with them are back in town. January, February, March, April, May. Uh, We're excited to have everybody back, and uh, our chefs are busier than ever. Houck says rallies and conferences hosted by lawmakers and special interest groups bring customers.
0: Days like when the... um, Black and Puerto Rican caucus come to town and they just bus in tons and tons of people. Obviously, that's a huge catered event in the um, conference um, center in the concourse. But also, yeah, they're here for lunch. They're here for breakfast. They're getting their cup of coffee. They're getting that snack to get back on the bus back to New York City or Buffalo or Rochester or wherever um, brought them here to Albany for the legislative session.
5: Selma Ogresovich is co-owner of Green Sugar Leaf Farms, a tea shop and health supply store on the concourse. Though the halls of the Capitol are buzzing once again, the state complex is not as busy as years past. Staggered work schedules introduced during the COVID-19 pandemic are still keeping many state employees away from the office during the work week.
7: So we rely on state workers to come down here on their breaks or when, you know, session is back to keep that foot traffic. Cause otherwise after like three, four o'clock it's dead.
5: The concourse also has its own gym. The return of workers to their desks, many with renewed fitness goals, means treadmills and ellipticals will fire back up. Nadine Lewis is director of operations for Retro Fitness Albany.
1: I would say it's only busier because it's a busiest time of the year. Um, a lot of those that are busier in their workday aren't necessarily coming during that time. A lot of times their memberships slow down. Um, if that makes sense, just because they've got a heavy workload and and sometimes they're just trying to get home at at the end of a long day.
5: Lewis says a lot of the traffic this time of year is driven by people trying to keep up with their New Year's resolutions. But she says many will hit the gym during stressful times of the session, including the upcoming state of the state and budget period.
1: So sometimes we'll use as a stress release during that times, and sometimes though membership is paused in a sense, um, allowing, you know, all of the new January gym goers uh, a little extra opportunity to get in here um, until they return after the state of the state has concluded.
5: The regular session runs until June 6th. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Alexander Babby.
0: listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York lawmakers returned to Albany for the 2024 legislative session, and 112th District State Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh says she's ready to reach across the aisle. Walsh, a Republican, spoke about her plans to find solutions to some pressing issues with the Legislative Gazette's Aaron Shuttle levine
9: A top priority of GOP lawmakers in New York this year is addressing the state's population. According to the U.S. Census, the state's population dropped by more than 100,000 residents in 2023, more than any other state last year. Walsh, a Republican who has been serving in the state assembly since 2017, says the problem of population loss needs a comprehensive bipartisan solution that includes public safety.
10: I think that there are a certain number of people that plan to retire elsewhere, you know, and that that's just part of the plan. What I'm hearing from people that I talk to is a sadness and a feeling like they need to leave the state, that they need to leave because of taxes, because of um, not a, a bad business environment, because of a lot of regulations, a feeling that that as we went through um, the pandemic. There are a lot of people who felt that New York State um, was one of those states where there was a feeling of uh, of a real loss of freedom, and a real f- uh, feeling of loss of choice. And I hear about that from uh, from some of my constituents. And I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but I do think that those are some of the reasons why people are leaving. And um, you know, I. I I I feel like we need to do what we can as a state to try to stem that. I think that there's a feeling that um, the state is not as safe. Certainly certain parts of of the state, from a public safety point of view, are not as safe. You know, whether you're talking about Albany, whether you're talking about New York City or any of the bigger cities. um, As I talk to some of my rural constituents, they'll tell me that they... They don't even—they don't want to go to Albany for any reason. They don't feel safe, and there there's a certain feeling that with some of the um, um, public policy changes that were made in the areas of public safety and criminal justice reform, that uh, there are folks that feel that they are less safe, and they'd rather be in a state uh, where they they would feel safer than they are. Th- things like that, I do hear about, um, and. As I stand up and oppose certain policies that I feel go too far, I I do that with their concerns in mind.
9: Two of Walsh's legislative colleagues, Republican State Senator James Tedisco of the 44th District and Democratic Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara of the 111th District, are introducing a bill to establish a bipartisan commission to examine out-migration from New York. Walsh and her GOP colleagues are opposed to legislation recently signed by Governor Kathy Hochul that moves some local elections to even years. While supporters say the new law will increase voter participation, opponents contend local contests will be overshadowed by national elections.
10: Yeah, well, that's, I'm carrying that bill, that repealer in the Assembly. Um, Senator Mark Walzick is carrying it on the Senate side. And I've been pretty outspoken about this bill, um, the previous bill, the bill in chief, um, since it was first rolled out. I, I've done any number of columns and interviews about it. I just think it's a very bad idea. Somebody like myself that came up through local government and served as a zoning board member, planning board member, and then elected as a town board member for eight years, where I'm at the, you know, was at the way end of the ballot and in some very tight races, I'm very concerned that by pushing more races onto the even-numbered years, these local races, and not giving the localities the option to say yes or no, that what we're going to be doing is we're going to be bearing a lot of important local issues and it's going to get drowned out in the noise that will be, say, a presidential year or a governor's election year where the top of the ticket is going to be really driving all the messaging, and a lot of this local stuff might really get lost. I'm worried about it, plus just the overall length of the ballot. I mean, you're going to have to flip this thing over. It could be multiple pages, (laughs) you know. We already have a hard enough time telling people to flip it over and vote on different propositions, which can be very important. And we are seeing more initiatives and constitutional amendments being put forward, and those have to pass in two consecutive legislative sessions and then... They get placed on the ballot for a vote so those can be really critically important no matter which way people vote on them
0: that's new york state assemblywoman mary beth walsh speaking with the legislative gazette aaron shovel levine That about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at WAMCPodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Look for program number 2401. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State, Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org.